What is this? Are you trying to trick me? What is this? What's going on here? What are you people doing here? You are talking about the nonsensical ravings of a lunatic mind. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am GamerDude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Today I've got another best of episode for you. This week it's the best of Thanksgiving. It's November and I've always talked about Thanksgiving every year and we're going to talk about Thanksgiving again next week. But I've got so many stories about Thanksgiving that I've told over the years that I wanted to put a few of them together in one episode for you so they'd be convenient. You can, of course, go back and listen to the old episodes. They're all there. But I figured I'd pull some of my favorite stories out and put them here for you. So you've got them. Handy. I've always loved Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving in recent years has gotten short shrift. We've got Halloween. We've got Christmas. Everybody forgets Thanksgiving. So I always try to talk about Thanksgiving every year on the podcast. I always try to remember it. And I always try to emphasize how important it is. I think it's important to take a moment and give thanks for everything that we have. So if you haven't heard these stories that I've put together today, I hope you enjoy them. And if you have heard them, I hope you enjoy them again. So here we go. The best of story time at Thanksgiving. Now, in the early years, when I was a really young kid, Thanksgiving was usually split between one of my grandmother's houses. We didn't cook Thanksgiving at our house. We would be visiting the grandparents. So we would pack up and we'd head off either to upstate New York, where my grandmother, my mother's mom lived, or to just outside New York City, where my dad's mom lived. Now, I was not privy to the politics of which grandmother we would be visiting on any particular year. But as an adult and having to negotiate these political arguments myself, I am sure there was a lot of negotiating between my mom and my dad, which mother they were going to visit on which year and who was going to be suffering without us that year or maybe suffering with us that year. Because don't forget, when we went visiting, it was my mom and my dad and three kids. And so it was a small army invading whichever house we were going to. Now, if we were visiting my mom's mom, not only was it the five of us, but up in upstate New York, my mom's sister lived with her two kids. So there would be four of them and the five of us. So that would be nine people invading my grandmother's house. That's a lot of people for a grandmother to take care of because my grandfather had passed years before. So it was my grandmother on her own taking care of us. Now, of course, it wasn't just on her own. My mom and her sister would pitch in and help get the dinner ready. But it was really my grandmother setting the stage and getting everything ready. Now, on occasion, visiting my mom's mom, my cousins and my aunt and uncle would visit my uncle's mother, who was in the same neighborhood as my mom's mom. Can you, can you follow this map? <laughs> There's all kinds of pathways and politics involved in who is visiting who and who is going where. My mom's mom and my uncle's mom lived near each other. And there was always a trade-off who was going to visit who during the holidays at that side of the family. And then on my dad's side of the family, he had two sisters and their kids. And if we were visiting his mom, then it would be a question of who was going where and who was doing what. And it was all above my head. It was way above my head when I was a kid. It was just, I'd sit in the car and we'd go where we were going. And that was it. As long as there was food and a bed, it didn't matter. I was fine with it. Yeah, but sometimes I do remember that my cousins at my mom's mom's house 
would be there for dinner, and other times they wouldn't because they had to be at their other grandmother's house. But then they would come by and visit my mom's mom after the first dinner and stop by for dessert and snacks at my mom's mom's house. Now, this created a problem one year, and I remember this vividly. It's one of those silly little memories you have from childhood. But one of the things that my dad liked, and as a result, I liked, was after the turkey was done, you'd have dinner at 3 or 4 o'clock. And then around 7 or 8 o'clock, you'd start to get hungry again, and you'd want a little snack, maybe a turkey sandwich, or maybe a couple of slices of turkey and a little stuffing. So the turkey would get placed in the refrigerator right after dinner, but then you could go pick at it during the evening or the next day. And so my dad loved to pick at the turkey, and so did I. Have a couple of slices, have a little bit of cranberries, have a little bit of stuffing. Well, one year my cousins came from their other grandma's house to visit my mom's mom, and they arrived, as young teenagers do, hungry as bears. And they went and picked at the turkey carcass in the refrigerator before my dad got a chance at his snacks. And I remember the rest of that trip, all he did was grumble about my damn cousins eating all the turkey off the bones before he could get a little snack. He was so angry at that. And it's one of those vivid memories that has stayed with me ever since. He was just fit to be tied that he didn't get his turkey slices. And there was no leftover turkey for sandwiches the next day. Nothing better than a little turkey sandwich, little mayonnaise on some, at the time, white Wonder Bread, because that's all we had. This is long before the days when wheat bread was found to be really tasty. All we had was white Wonder Bread. So you take a couple of slices of white Wonder Bread, slap some mayo on it, slap some turkey slices on it. There was nothing better than a turkey sandwich made from leftover turkey from Thanksgiving. The other thing we would sometimes do with that turkey if we didn't have sandwiches is we'd carve it off of the carcass and then dip it into mayonnaise and just eat it straight turkey mayo without the bread. Skip the step of the sandwich making, just have turkey snitchlings with mayo dip and that was your lunch the next couple of days. And yeah, I say couple of days because the turkeys that we got were necessarily huge because of the number of people that were expected at each of the dinners. I'm sure you've gone into the store and you've seen, you know, a 6-pound bird, a 10-pound bird, a 12-pound bird. My family specialized in the 20-pound bird. We would have 20-pound turkeys that would fill up the oven. It was just overflowing with turkey, and that thing would take all day to cook. But boy, there was a lot of turkey on a 20-pound bird, so there was always, always leftovers to pick from. Except, of course, for the year that my cousins came and skinned the carcass. Thanksgiving, of course, marks that holiday season where all the families start to worry about (laughs) whose house do we have to go to this year? All right, are we going to your parents for Thanksgiving and my parents for Christmas? Oh, I don't want to see my aunt and uncle again. Oh, I hate my cousins. Do I have to see them? Yeah, it's where we see all the weird relatives once a year over the course of about a month. And all that makes us grateful for the 11 other months of the year where we don't have to see them. Ah, yes, Thanksgiving. I talked a bit about Thanksgiving last year. Of course, with a lifetime of Thanksgivings, I have lots of Thanksgiving stories, too. And as you get older, the Thanksgivings do tend to run together. You realize, oh, yeah, that happens every year, doesn't it? Every year's the question, is the turkey done? My dad's favorite words. Is the turkey done? Well, I'm waiting for the little thing to pop up. You know that's never accurate. It's always accurate. I don't know how many times we had that discussion, but it was more than once. Making the stuffing, making the sweet potatoes, making the mashed potatoes, making that fruit salad with the little marshmallows in it that we call the fruit salad with the little marshmallows in it. Every Thanksgiving, the same old stuff, which is good. Traditions are good. 
But there's also the family politics that goes with it, too. One of the first political fights in my life was family politics. And it was the time that I wanted to graduate from the kids' table at my grandmother's house. Now, some of you know this routine. You have such a big family that there's the grown-up table and the kids' table. And all the little kids are supposed to sit at the kids' table because the grown-ups have to have grown-up conversation, and the kids are just going to interrupt that. That's the philosophy behind that. We don't want those pesky little kids interfering with the grown-up conversation. You know, the ones where they fight the same fights they fought every Thanksgiving for a decade. We don't want the kids interrupting that. But my dad's mom was the one with the kids' table. My mom's mom never had a kids' table. She just added leaves to the table or put up a card table at the end of the table and just put chairs around it and everybody sat at the same table. My dad's mom had the kids' table. I don't think there was that many more people at my dad's mom's house for Thanksgiving when she had it, but I think she liked the separation. My mom's mom had 12 siblings, so she didn't care. She was used to big families. Everybody gathered around the table. My dad's mom wanted the separation, so we had the separation. And I remember sitting at the little card table in the foyer, because that's the only place it would fit in the foyer, with five or six other strange kids who I never saw, except at Thanksgiving at my grandmother's house. As I sit here today, I don't remember their names. I don't remember their relations. Well, let me correct that. I do remember a couple of my cousins, my dad's sister's kids, would sometimes show up. I say sometimes because there was politics there. My grandmother didn't get along with that sibling. And so they didn't always come for Thanksgiving, but it was way above my head why. I just knew they weren't always there. But I had three cousins on that side who we would occasionally see. And then as my dad explained it to me, there was a second cousin and a second cousin once removed. And I don't know what that means. They were just there. One of them was named Paul, maybe? Peter? Piper? Could have been anything. I don't remember. And that's because family get-togethers for the holidays are really more of an obligation than something you love to do. I mean, I love to get together with my immediate family. Don't get me wrong. But you know that extended family, that crazy uncle you see once every two years? That cousin who lives in Alaska who shows up every four or five years? And they show up because they feel they have to at least once a decade? That's the weird stuff about the family get-togethers. And that was the stuff that was always exhibited at my dad's mom's house for Thanksgiving. I couldn't tell the players without a program. I had no idea who half these people were. But I knew that my grandmother had 10 or 12 seats around the big table and then 5 or 6 or 8 or 10 seats around the kids' table and a whole bunch of strangers who would sit together and have food. And that's what we called Thanksgiving. There's not much I remember about my dad's mom's Thanksgiving. My mom's mom's Thanksgivings were much more memorable. I told you last year about how my cool cousins came and cleaned up the turkey carcass and left my dad in tears because there was no leftover turkey. We didn't stay over at my dad's mom's house. She was close enough where we would drive out there for Thanksgiving dinner and then leave that same day. And it was always turkey and there was some stuffing, but it was never the stuffing that my mom made. It was never as good as that. And my dad didn't like it. I remember that. He didn't like my grandmother's stuffing. And she always had the rice ring for Thanksgiving, too. I've mentioned the rice ring before. That's on our family crest, I believe. My dad's mom loved rice, but didn't just make rice. She would put the rice in one of those jello mold type things, you know, those coppery ones you see hanging on the wall. She actually used hers. It was a circular ring that you would ordinarily use for jello. But she would cook her rice and then put it in the mold so that you'd then have a ring of rice. And that's what she served for the rice. I don't know if she baked it after that or if she just cooked it and then packed it in there and served it that way. But rice ring was at every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, every meal that we ate at my grandmother's house. There was always rice ring. I wish I knew where that came from, but that was her thing. 
My dad's mom was the only one in the family who always had to have an appetizer, and the appetizer was always a weird little concoction. I've mentioned it before in the stream, but this is something she would serve on everybody's plate, including the kids. At, at the kids' table, we got the, we got the appetizer. It was a little dessert cup with a spoonful of orange sherbet in it, and it was floating in some cranberry juice. It sounds weird, I know, right? But let me tell you, that orange sherbet and the cranberry juice, really tasty. That was the best part of the meal. I wanted more appetizers. I'm calling it an appetizer. I think it's what they used to call a palate cleanser. A little sherbet was supposed to cleanse your palate so you could appreciate the taste of the food more. And I think that's one of the things that my grandmother liked to do, have a little fancy touch to her dinners. So this little palate cleanser slash aperitif slash appetizer was something that she served at every meal. And that was the one thing I looked forward to. I could do without the rice ring. I could do without the turkey. Bring on the orange sherbet and the cranberry juice. I say I could do without the turkey. I love turkey. I love a good turkey dinner. I love turkey, stuffing, gravy, the trimmings, everything. I love everything about Thanksgiving dinner. I would have turkey all the time if I could. But the problem with my grandmother's house is my grandmother was not a good cook. My mom's mom, stellar cook. My dad's mom, she could bake. Great with cakes. Great with cookies. Main courses, not so much. One of the ongoing feuds between my dad and his mom was when we would go over there for a turkey dinner, there was always a fight over cooking the turkey. And it's because she didn't like to waste electricity or gas, depending on which house we were in and which was powering her stove. So she would always try to cook the turkey at a very low temperature so as not to use too much electricity or gas. But she would try to cook it at the low temperature for the same amount of time. Not surprisingly, our turkeys would often arrive mm, slightly undercooked. So there were times my dad would take a break from the conversation and sneak out to the kitchen to turn the temperature up on the turkey to make sure that it would cook all the way through. And my grandmother would wander out an hour later and check on it. Who turned up this stove? Why is this stove so hot? And she'd turn the temperature back down. So of course my dad would have to sneak back out, turn it back up. It was a battle for the cooking of the turkey. And that's why sometimes after dinner at grandma's house, we would be stopping at McDonald's to make sure we all had something good to eat. Because there were times the turkey was not edible. The rice ring was always good. The turkey, not so much. Everything you think you know about Thanksgiving, it's probably not true. Okay, yes, we're supposed to be thankful on this holiday. But what I'm getting at is this holiday is kind of an invention of your grade school textbooks. It's more or less a PR campaign to help create the goodwill and desire to be thankful. Which is all good, that's all justified. But this whole pilgrim, Native American, indigenous people thing that they have as the backstory? Mm, not so much. And so I'm going to be like the fart in church today and ruin Thanksgiving's background for you. I'm going to do that just so you understand where the holiday came from. That doesn't mean you still shouldn't be thankful. Just understand, it's not exactly the way they sold it to you in grade school. Now, this is all based on some reading and some research that I've done over the years, because me being me, I like to know these things. I'm not going to make this a term paper. I'm not going to give you citations and a bibliography at the end, but I can give you the information if you want it. But there's facts out there that they don't teach you in school, which I find fascinating, but that's the world that we live in. Like, one of the things they always taught us was the first Thanksgiving was in 1621. That's when the Pilgrims and the Native Americans had a celebration. The Native Americans, or Indians as we called them when I was in grade school, they had formed an alliance, there was some kind of treaty, and the Indians helped the Pilgrims get through the year. Taught them how to plant crops, taught them how to survive winters. So in 1621, when the harvest came in, they had Thanksgiving. 
and they sat down to cranberry sauce and ambrosia salad and roast turkey and gave thanks for each other. And they called it Thanksgiving. That's the story. Except Thanksgiving wasn't really an official holiday in the United States until 1863. So, you know, 242 years later. Abraham Lincoln declared it as a holiday, as kind of a thank you in the middle of the Civil War for successful battles in Vicksburg and Gettysburg. And so they gave thanks in the fall of that year. That's when the first official Thanksgiving happened in the United States. Now, there were Thanksgiving holidays in the early 1800s in New England, but it was not a national holiday. It was not a national thing. It wasn't a thing, except in isolated regions. Now, don't get me wrong. There was a feast documented in 1621. It was a three-day celebration. It did celebrate the harvest. There were games and parties and celebrations, and that was all in gratitude for a successful harvest. But it didn't become an annual thing or a national thing for literally two centuries. We talk about that celebration in 1621 with the pilgrims and the Native Americans. Except there's a funny thing about the pilgrims. They didn't call themselves pilgrims. They were never known as pilgrims amongst themselves. The term pilgrim didn't come out until 1880. The people we know as pilgrims were basically separatists. Those original pilgrims had religious freedom in Holland and were not here for religious freedom. They were here to make money, really. They wanted to get in on the trade in this new land. And they wanted to form their own type of government, more or less a religious theocracy. And they figured they'd have the freedom to do so while getting rich. So that's what they were here for. They had decided to leave Europe and come here to make their own country and make their own fortune. Which is fine. We just need to keep in mind that they weren't here because they were persecuted. They were here to make a better life for themselves. And that better life included making money. I know, right? I'm really raining on the parade of Thanksgiving, aren't I? Well, here's some more rain. Remember Squanto? Squanto was the Indian liaison between the Native Americans and the Pilgrims. He helped translate and negotiate trade between the Pilgrims and the Indians. And I hope you'll forgive me as I say Indian because that's the term that we were taught when I was in school. I know they're indigenous people. I know they're Native Americans. But when I was growing up, they were Indians. That's what we were taught and it's a habit that's in my head. It's a hard habit to break. I try to catch myself, but I find myself slipping into the old habits. I try really hard, but I still find myself saying, oh yeah, the pilgrims and the Indians. So we were taught that Squanto was one of the Indians who helped broker trade between the Indians and the pilgrims. And because of Squanto, Thanksgiving took place. Well, poor Squanto doesn't have a really upbeat backstory. It would probably make a great movie if anybody ever made it. Actually, Disney did make a movie back in 1994 called Squanto, A Warrior's Tale. But it's a Disney-fied version of Squanto's Tale, and some have questioned its historical accuracy. What I'm saying is if they did a real movie about what really happened, that might be cool. But I digress. The Pilgrims called him Squanto. His actual name, as far as I've been able to find out, was actually Tisquantum, but that became Squanto. He was part of the Patuxet tribe, which was one of the smaller offshoots of the Wampanoag tribe. And they all lived in the site where the pilgrims, we'll just call them pilgrims rather than separatists, because we know what we're talking about. But his people lived in the area where the pilgrims first settled up in Massachusetts. But the thing about Squanto, before 1621, this goes back to 1614, he and several of his people were captured by the English in 1614. He and his people spent several years in England. That's where he learned English. That's how he was able to translate between the Europeans and the Native Americans at the time, when he ultimately returned in 1621. But between 1614 and 1621, he was actually sold into slavery in Spain. 
Oh, yeah, we didn't hear that part in grade school. They left that part out. They left out the part where he also returned to New England in 1619 and found that his entire tribe had been wiped out by smallpox. Yeah, they forgot to tell us that part, too. So what he did was he put himself in the position of being the envoy, the diplomat, the emissary between the Native Americans who remained and the English who were settling the Massachusetts area. And that's how Squanto got involved. Just a point of fact that I thought might be interesting to know. Because what they told me in grade school had nothing to do with what actually happened. I know, it's kind of shocking to find out that the history books in grade school, not entirely accurate. So there you have it, some of our best Thanksgiving stories. I hope you enjoyed them. Next week, we're going to talk about Thanksgiving for the year 2022. That'll be our fifth Thanksgiving episode. It's hard to believe, right? Well, I appreciate you being here. I'm grateful for you listening to this episode. I hope you'll like next week's episode as well. And I hope you like all of these episodes. I can't thank you enough for all of the time that you spend here and all of the support you've given me over the years. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves. And I'll see you when I see you.